Hi there. Welcome to Shrink Chat. This is the companion show to our main podcast, Terror Talk. My name is Shannon, and I'm joined every week by my friend, Kathy. On this show, we talk about psychology and media and whatever else comes up. It's a bit looser. So hang out and welcome to Shrink Chat. Hi, everybody. This is Shrink Chat with Shannon and Kathy. Here we are again. Here we are again. I want to sing a song, but I'm not going to because I'm realizing we're recording right now. You let me sing. Yeah. Let's. I mean, you don't really let me sing. Sometimes I just sing. Yeah. I, I'm gonna, I was going to say, like, I did not plan for you to sing, nor did I ask you to. Then I won't. <laughs> but you could. I could. All right. I do what I want. Would, would the trivia involve singing today? Because <laughs> no. I feel like we can make that happen. No, it does not. So welcome to the show. We are going to do our um, Horror Facts with Kath. Horror Facts with Kath. Yeah, I know she would sing her little ditty. She's got a ditty. Do you know what trivia you would like to? Yeah, I got two, but I have two in front of me, but I'm going to pick one. Or horror facts now. We're not actually supposed to call it trivia anymore, I guess. horror facts with cats. I know, but that is so terribly hard to say. Say it five times fast. No. Okay. Ready? Yep. The original title of this film was Blood Relations. The main villain of the original film has a real-life condition called ectodermal dysplasia, causing a variety of facial structural abnormalities. Nightmare on Elm Street. No. I'm not the real actor. <laughs> I don't think Robert Englund really looked like that. <laughs> um, I, I, okay. Many of the props were from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And the lead actress was so pretty, they had to keep putting dirt on her to make her character more believable. Uh, the movie was remade in 2006. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, this, like, this little ditty we do is going to be very quiet. It's now. like you go to commercials. Most of the time. Because I'm going to be like, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. So we must be talking about like the 80s? Maybe. You know it's before 2006. Yeah. And I also know it's after Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You do. So there's your window. <laughs> and toilets were no, toilets. invented. <laughs> Sorry, that's a callback from a couple of weeks ago if you're new. <laughs> At least the toilet flush was invented. <laughs> Yeah, I love how we had to get specific about mm. that. We certainly did. All right. I don't know. So we'll find out later. Yeah. When she lets us know. We will, unless you just, you know, start throwing out movies uh, anywhere between those decades. I was going to do that. I was going to let you get real serious. <laughs> and then I was going to go, sleep away camp. Nope. In the middle of it. Okay. Go Not ahead. even a good guess. <laughs> I know. I, it was literally just the first movie Not I thought. Not even close. <laughs> All right, so I have a feeling that you, in fact, I know. I don't just have a feeling. I actually know that you have some topics you would like to. I do. I would just like to say, mm. Kathy's back reading the actual newspaper. <gasps> what? Yeah, I, I don't have anything from it today, but I just want, you hear that? <laughs> she 
It's back, ladies and gents. She actually, so when we first started doing Kathy Reads the Paper, which was a, this is the segment we're talking about, she used to leave them with me, <laughs> and I would find little Smell pieces that. of the paper so good. in that. the studio. Yeah, it's good smell. <sighs> and it's like Newsprint. folded like your grandpa, you know? Yeah, I just need a cup of coffee. Yep. And some, a cigarette, because 50 years ago, yeah. that's what it would have been. And some Tums. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> I would. I actually would like to talk a little bit. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of blends into some of the stuff that I've been watching over the past month. So it's not that I've been watching this recently, but sort of incorporating it into my daily mental health. Interesting. So Netflix um, in June started the Black Lives Matter portion mm-hmm. of their. Is it a channel? What do we call that? Live stream? It's not live stream. What do we call Netflix? App? A streaming service. Streaming service. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that they did that. I mean, I, I hate that I it, hate had to that be it done. was facilitated by <laughs> yes. tragedy, but I, I do appreciate that they did that, and I'll get into my reason okay. why. But I watched a couple really uh, good ones. I want to recommend one if you guys haven't seen it. It's called um, 13th. I watched it a couple of years ago, and I do think it was up for a, a documentary, an Oscar. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's about the history of racial inequality, focusing mostly on nation's prison system and how they are disproportionately filled with African-Americans. It is one of the best, most well-informed documentaries mm. about discrimination I think that's been ever made. And wow. I, I can say that from... That's my opinion. I clearly haven't seen all of them. But in the ones I have seen, when we're looking at give me real facts um, in in an amount of time that is palatable, Mm -hmm. I think it's so, so, so well done and really important to watch. So I recommend that one. However, the two that I have watched. It's Ava DuVernay, right? I think so, yeah. yeah. Um, The two that I have watched over a couple weeks was, uh, there was one called Teach Us All. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is really about Brown versus Board of Education and um, how even today we are still working on um, changing the continuous segregation that goes on in school systems. So it's documentary style, very informative, gives a really good picture in, you know, how will we know when there's no more segregation and they go into things will be equally funded and we will have real diversity and people won't be polarized. It's really good. Um, So I recommend that one. And then the other one that I just absolutely loved. And I think part of it was such a mental health piece for me because I miss having humans um, running this country as I watched becoming Michelle Obama. Oh yeah. I've seen that one. You know, this is not even about political policies or, you know, whatever you want to think of the Obama administration politically is, is really irrelevant to how I felt about the way she told her story mm-hmm. um, and the way that she delivered it so all types of people could really understand and grasp and appreciate. And she's just so well-spoken. She's very easy to like. She's very mm-hmm. easy to like. And I know that, that some people seem to think that because they believe she's, I don't know, sociopath or something, but she, I I just, (laughs) I have not talked to those people. uh, I have, I've gotten into conversations with, I do not uh, want to talk. I don't want to talk to those people. White women Mm. who really, really dislike her and find her to be like one of the most 
unfortunate souls. That is so strange to me. It, it, it is that is most, coming as like the biggest shock to me in this moment because I love her. Bizarre. <laughs> okay. uh, I, I can't imagine looking at her and going, you know what? She really pisses me off. <laughs> yeah, I can't even see it, but okay, whatever. But I think it's because what I'm going to shift into okay. is Michelle Obama brings up the very threat to white supremacy, which is the idea that a young black woman from the Chicago suburbs or whatever could could get to where she did um it's not the fear it's, it's the fear it's, they have. it's the fear they okay. have and and wanting so badly to discredit yeah or say she got there based on this this and that and you know and if you follow michelle she really talks about how she didn't she even says this in the film i'd never wanted to be barack's appendage and i realized that i had to quit law and dedicate my life to other things so I didn't just become, you know, his wife, the first lady, whatever. I, I imagine Obama wouldn't have wanted that either. He would not have. And she talks about their relationship. This, I don't know if you remember this, but there's a part where she says, you know, I'm asking him, we're sitting there. It was like really romantic moment. And I'm asking him what's on his mind. <laughs> and all of a sudden he goes on to like, you know, racial inequality. And he starts to go into, and she goes, and I knew in that moment that I was dealing with a really different human being. And it's like one of the moments that she kind of fell in love with him. Yeah, because of the global concern. Because of who he, and, and how different he was from what she knew and even from her. And yeah. anyway, her story her story is fantastic. But I have been, um, you know, we talked about the book White Fragility as one of the suggested reads. And it's a, an excellent book. And I, I've been reading the abbreviated version by... Goldman reads who, who kind of it's called summarized for busy people um, because there's a lot of information that I do want to get through. But I think that some of the stuff that comes up for me and the conversations that I've been having with um, my friends, you know, people of color and white friends about how can white people really show up in all of this and, and just learning about um, the, the weaponization of white tears and how easy it has been over the years for, um, it doesn't have to be overt discrimination or racism for it to be racism. And just, just the fact that there's this deterrence from talking about it is what construct is where that social construction comes from. This book is excellent. I know you and I have talked about it, um, even when we're not recording, um, but I, this line that comes up in the book is the book's author. So now, you know, Goldman Reads is talking about the original author of the book. The book's author stresses that white tears are narcissistic in nature. And one of the things that I've been talking about in my the presentations that I give, and you know that I work with a lot of uh, survivors of narcissistic abuse, is the underpinning of racism is narcissism and how much of that is there. And we see that with you know the powers that be right now and just really paying attention to even politically who we pay attention to and who we subscribe to. All of these... Um, covert uh, measures of racism that are going on simply because we're not blatantly stating it out loud, just the mere unmentioning of it, uh, the discomfort that white people get into, um, it triggers something in, in them. So then, you know, it doesn't allow the black community to really get justice. There's just so much in this that I think we're finally talking about where I think racism back in the day, it was, I'm not racist if I don't talk this way or I'm not written. And the, the truth is, is if you are born white, you are born into a certain type of doctrine ideal that, that you just believe there's something about, 
our culture that is, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Dominant, not for any conscious sort of racial, for lack of better words, reason, just because you're born into it, you don't know any better. So when someone accuses you of being racist, you're like, no, I'm not racist. I, I, I don't say this, this, and that. And we're missing the whole point of what racism really is. And I think we're just finally getting past this black and white surface discussion about racism. Mm -hmm. So it's just been, I don't know, it's been really healthy for me to, to connect with like, where have I contributed to the problem? And, and how does that hold me back from my own personal growth and the way that I can use my privilege and, and stop pretending like white people have to be the best at everything and knowing everything and the most woke. And it's just like, just stop it and, and read and listen. And for the first time, let people who didn't have a voice have a voice. And so, I don't know, it's just been like, this has been a big growth piece for me personally but it's a great book if people it is read it. Yeah. yeah i i want to just I, i'll just add that you're describing exactly what she asserts about fragility in other words we in many ways have a fragility at having the conversation so yeah. um we have we meaning a, a white person born in this country, I can't really speak for anything else because that's my experience. Um, in that, we haven't endured the systemic racism throughout our lives, and so if we are challenged at being called a racist or even just having conversations about cultural competence, we are fragile with that. We become defensive. We mm -hmm. become um, rigid. We deny, deny, deny. We don't even accept the idea that all white people are racist. Right. Um, we don't accept that. And then we also don't tolerate having the conversation. Like a million times you've thought, I just don't want to talk about that because I'm going to step in shit. I'm not going to say the right thing. And it's like, yeah, you are going to step in shit and you're not going to say the right That's thing. Right. And you are going to be bullied for it. And people are going to judge you for it. Yep. And you have to, and you're fragile because of it. Yep. You can't even have the conversation. You know, people of color have been, have been sustaining the conversation and the racism and have built up a strength at having those kinds of conversations and we have not. Right. And we need to learn how to get into that discomfort and be okay with being corrected and, and, yes, and exactly. getting past this because racism really is an, is, it's an abusive relationship. And just like in any abusive relationship, the person being abused is always in the situation of having to apologize. Mm -hmm. And so in these situations, black people have learned to go, I'm not going to go there. I don't want to offend this person. I don't want to see her cry. I don't want to push, push, you know, I'm going to save face again. Yeah. Just like an abusive relationship. So I don't know. There's just so much is happening and, and, you know, we change does not happen when it's comfortable. No, I mean, and I've, I mean, there's been a gift happening recently is that I have had um, several conversations recently with uh, Caucasian clients of mine, Caucasian adult clients of mine who are looking for assistance in how to have those kinds of conversations and where to look and what resources they can look into and where can they have those kinds of conversations. We've been having this conversation, yeah. this very conversation about. And you gave a lot of really great resources a few weeks ago on where people can go and what they can do. Yeah. And there's more and more and more yeah. where that came from. I could probably give you direct, like you were talking about Netflix. I mean, you know, there's yeah. just a lot of signing petitions, making phone calls, donating. These are all really great ways to tons of stuff. Yeah. I'll just, um, if, if, 
you're finished with the topic yeah. for today, mm-hmm. I was just going to end with a little quote yeah, that I please. looked up from uh, Robin D'Angelo, who is the author of White Fragility. The quote is, it is pe- white people's responsibility to be less fragile. Mm-hmm. People of color don't need to twist themselves into knots trying to navigate us as painlessly as possible. Mm-hmm. And I think that sort of distills in ways that I obviously couldn't. Um, what I was talking about is that, you know, it's not their burden. It's not people of color's burden to make us feel comfortable That's with right. the conversation. That's right. That's the very thesis of the idea. And I'm, I love it. I'm uh, I'm in it. And I also am um, can admit to being uncomfortable at times with it and needing to build my yeah. own build my own strength around the conversation. And that's why we've uh, started to talk about it very openly on the show. So there it is. So I want to pivot to another marginalized minority. That's the theme of today's show in a way I watched, but still in line with our, (laughs) with our thesis over here that we love horror. I watched scream queen, my nightmare on Elm street, which is a, uh, documentary um, about it sets the record straight about the controversial sequel to a nightmare on Elm street, which is often uh, it's often expressed as the first gay horror film in some ways, um, which ended Mark Patton's acting career um, just as it was about to begin. It was like his first, he's the guy that plays the scream um, guy, man, scream boy, final boy, whatever it is. In um, A Nightmare on Elm Street um, 2, the sequel. So it was his first like big leading role. He happened to be a, a young gay man. And this documentary follows Patton as he travels to horror conventions around the U.S. and sort of the resurgence that has happened now in our new culture around accepting him, but how it ended his career at the time. Um so each new city unwraps a chapter from his life that is met with equal parts of joyfulness and bittersweet, um, of course, because it's like the career he never had. He didn't get to have that. He kind of he just basically ran away, and for many reasons, which you actually get to learn. Um, you know, the Freddy's Revenge cast and crew. He confronts them in this. He confronts the his co-stars and the writer and director and all of that, they have conversations which are sometimes uncomfortable where he says, you know, this is how I felt and you didn't support me, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, I enjoyed it quite a bit, but it really shone a light on that time period and how, um, they even interview people going to convent, you know, horror conventions that are, you know, um, make fun of him and oh yeah it was you know the 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 homosexual overtones so what happens in freddy's revenge is that in that movie there are um night you know gay clubs there are all kinds of things and there's all of this overtone of gay culture Mm -hmm. that people who had not been exposed to that before were watching this movie and not getting the references right. because at that point in time, it just wasn't as known. Right. Um, you know, gay culture was even more marginalized than it is now. And so. Um, you're talking about the original Nightmare on Elm Street or are you talking? I'm talking about Freddy's Revenge. Oh, the Revenge. Okay. And so. 
Uh, it was really good. I don't know. Um, I enjoyed it quite a bit just from a cultural standpoint um, because I didn't know. Like, I was a kid, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I, I, don't, I, I wouldn't I, have known. I wouldn't have known that either. Um, it's A Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Mm-hmm. Freddy's Revenge is what it's called. And his name is Mark Patton. And he's in this and and the focus of it. And I found it very interesting to just know what it was like for him. And it, it just, it really destroyed him. The fact that it came out and then that's so crazy. What ended up happening is his agents said to him, um, you know, after screening the movie, mm-hmm. they said, you're great. You know, this is terrific. You're fantastic. And we're going to have to figure out how to market you as a character actor because you'll never work as a straight man again. Jesus. Yeah. And so they said, you know, cause he was leading man material and he was the leading man in this movie. And so he was thinking that's what's going to happen. And that's what he was. He was leading, certainly leading man material. And then after this movie came out, his, all of his agents were like, we can't market you as straight. Mm-hmm. And you need to be straight to be a leading man mm-hmm. was the cultural norm yep. at that time. And you know, it, it's changed a little, but there's still a lot of that. Mm-hmm. You know, what a leading man. Not a lot. What a, what a leading man means. Oh, and I can think of two or three um, gay men that uh, were started out as leading men, and you just don't see them much anymore. And those are like recent references from the last twenty-five years. So I don't, I don't know that it's changed that much. No, no, interesting. Yeah, it's good. I recommend it. Uh, I recommend it's a like I try to say my favorite documentaries are sort of a documentary that tells a a personal story a personal human story that you can connect to just like a good movie mm-hmm. with the overlying context of like the culture and what was going on at the time. I think those, that, that macro and micro lens coupled mm-hmm. together in a creative way is the way to go. And this one certainly does that. So okay. I would recommend it. Very cool. Uh, did you watch any? I'm in the middle of, I'm in the middle of this. It's really strange. So it's, I don't usually find a lot of horror films on Hulu. Sure. But this one looked interesting to me and I'm still getting through it. And I ended up, I was so tired the other night that I have to go back because I, I fell asleep. Um, not because it was bad. It's I was not boding really well for your recommendation. Yeah, I know. It, it really, and that's what I'm saying. It's not because it was bad. I was just so exhausted. But, it, um, and the music is, I, I end up waking up at this one point and the music the is comes. so creepy and these children are singing and I'm like, oh God, like I wake up in the middle of the night and it's like someone's having a full on, you know, ritual in my room. Help. People are like, how do you fall asleep to horror? I'm like, I don't know. I guess I just compartmentalize it differently. And I did start watching it when I was a kid. It's probably a lullaby at this point, but, um, so yeah. the storyline is, well, first of all, the name of the film is, um, the house is October built mm-hmm. and it's, Oh, all, it's found footage. Your favorite. <laughs> yeah. But it's done like, you know, if it's low budget and whatever, I'll give it a chance. If it's, if it's a major, um, <laughs> if it's like a, what do you I, call I it? I hear you overproduced, overproduced. I'm like, you guys, you guys have money to do anything and you're choosing that. So if it's a low budget, I'll give it a chance. So beneath the fake blood and sheep masks of countless haunted house attractions across the country, there are whispers of truly terrifying alternatives looking to find an authentic blood curdling, good fright for Halloween. Five friends set off on a road trip in an RV 
uh, to track down these underground haunts. Just when their search seems to reach a dead end, strange and disturbing things start happening, and it becomes clear that the haunt has come to them. Um, and so I clearly woke up when the haunt had come to them and they were all freaking out. And then I freaked out and then I shut off the TV and went back to bed. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's it's just, I'm excited clearly for the fall already. Yes. And when it's anything with October and haunted houses and even Aww. the mention of Halloween, I'll give it a shot. And there's a house, there's a two as well. There's a sequel that already came out in 2017. So you, go. you, got, you got a lot more... Yeah, yeah. This is from 2011. You got if you like it, you got some more to look forward to. I think I may be watching the second one. Actually, are they? Oh, called? I don't okay. Know. I don't know. Yeah, I'm watching the second one oh, right now. Cool. Yeah. So yeah, the second one is they basically what ends up happening is based on what happened in the first one. They're mm-hmm. like, hey, let's go back and and the girl who plays this role where she's supposed to be stuck in a coffin or whatever. Like, I'm not going with you guys this time. They're like, come on, we really want you to come. <laughs> you know, and As they, they kind of drag her back into it. And there's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's entertaining. So far, so good. Yeah. It's fun. I mean, yeah, you're trying to get into Halloween. I mean, we do normally go, we, <laughs> we had such big plans. I know. We had big plans for this summer. But we Disney's were gonna, opening on July 17th. So we're going to cross our fingers that um, COVID-19 does not put us back into another safety at home measure in the fall because I want everyone to live and be safe. But I also, alternatively, if we can do that, plus have some kind of a Halloween, <laughs> that would yeah. be great. That would be great. Um I just, yeah, I, 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 I'm hoping, I don't know what universal will look like. I mean, I'm supposed to be in Africa in October, so I don't know, but, um, it'll be interesting to see if they, they allow even like the outside ones that we have a, a cornfield one here in Tarzana. Okay. It's outside and it's one of those where you get in like the, the wagon or the whatever. wagon. It, like, I, okay. I wonder if they'll leave at least do those cause they're outside. I don't know. Well, I, and, they I mean, something. they're going to do Disneyland with all kinds of restrictions in place and you have to make reservations and it's all this pre-planning. They'll have, I mean, there's all this stuff, you know, they've, they're trying to figure it out. So we'll see. I mean, we, the big plans we had was we were going to go to like all these horror conventions yeah. this summer. Oh, that's true too. We had a lot of that planned. We were finally gonna like, like August was going to be our, yeah, we were going to try to go to, you know, ScareCon and all these different things that they do in LA. And so, okay, fine. We're not going to do that. Hopefully next year mm-hmm. we can do that, but um, we will cobble together some kind of horrific Something, even, even if, if it's just watching horror I was gonna movies. Say, even all if we made Shannon year. and I are really good at just making our own haunted house and watching yeah. stuff. So <laughs> I mean, we, we we used to have our own, our um, own Halloween parties for five people. So you know where we would spend literally more hours prepping for the party than people who came. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we still have all of the. We can still you know decorate. We can decorate the couch and watch movies and be ridiculous. We certainly could. Um. That's our show for today. Please tune in next week for the next Terror Talk show. We very much appreciate your patronage. This is Shrink Chat. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone. (laughs) 
We hope you enjoyed this episode of Shrink Chat. If you enjoy what we do here, there are two things you could consider. Subscribing and sharing our episodes on social media and checking out our Patreon page. Don't hesitate to contact us on Twitter, Instagram, or our Facebook page. We upload new episodes of Terror Talk every Wednesday and of Shrink Chat every Friday. Until then, goodbye and have a pleasant tomorrow.